There's a great book called Atomic Habits. Yeah. And they say that uh, you don't rise to your goal and fall to your system. So when it comes to like the training process, so many people build teams and just like throw them out to the field. Like imagine they're building like a basketball team yeah. and they have their first game the next day, they would definitely suck. Yeah. <laughs> so we always go through like a one-week training process. We go through all these role plays and what to say, what not to say, how to use a CRM as a system. So they're so prepared by the time they get on the call. Yeah. Like I said, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. You are listening to The Isaac Velez Show, the best podcast for Mavericks, rare breeds of thinkers and doers characterized by a relentless pursuit of excellence and an unquenchable thirst for innovation. I'm your host, Isaac, a performance coach, and our show is a masterclass of achieving holistic success, deeply rooted in stoicism and essentialism. If that sounds interesting, stay tuned for today's episode and welcome to The Isaac Velez Show. Welcome back, everyone, to The Isaac Velez Show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, I bring to you another part of our interview series where we bring on mavericks of the world, people that are doing something in their own life, have defined a purpose, they understand their why, they continue to understand it, but most often than not, what are they doing is taking action day in and day out. They are taking action, learning from what they do, and they are using it to improve their lives and those of those around them. These conversations aren't to inspire you or to make you feel motivated for a day or two. They're to make you think of how can you take the information, the experience, and the knowledge of someone else, take someone else's life story, and funnel it into your own life, the systems, the structures, the lessons, and use that to your advantage. Leverage the lives of others so you can be who you truly are. You can unlock your true being. Today's guest is no exception to that rule. They are someone that I respect, I admire, and I understand that they have put the work and they have gone through their own journey and they have seen the demons and the dark side of life and they have found character and built a life of meaning because of it. They're someone that continues to learn from what they do. And while they've achieved success, they are not satisfied. They are continuing to grow and grow and grow. And so today's guest is someone that I just want to talk about from a level of how do we perform, from a level of how do we define success as we want to define it, not as others define it for us. It's a lens of let's define winning, raw, authentic, relentless pursuit of being better. Today's guest is none other than Mike Bubsy. I am super excited for this conversation. This is in in person, so I'm going to be honest with you guys. The in-person just has this extra edge of it's this energy that's palpable in the room. I hope you guys can feel that as much as I can feel it right now. I'm very excited. So without further ado, let's hop right into it. Mike, welcome to the show. What's up, man? That was an amazing introduction right there. Happy to be here. Amazing setup here. Let's get into it and change some lives. Well, Mike, I think to get started, why don't we give the people a bit of like an overview of how how do we get to the mic of today? You know, what brought you to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely, man. So uh, based on born and raised in Maryland, uh, grew up youngest of three older sisters, uh, coming to entrepreneurship, man, I was a kid cutting grass. Uh, I had a snow shoveling business in Maryland gets super cold. So show up snows, five to six inches. I remember when I was like 14, I started a business. We made 400 bucks on our first day from the shoveling snow because in Maryland, you can literally die uh, if you're like a little bit older from like a heart attack from just having to shovel snow if you're like older. So I remember when we were younger, that was like our sales pitch, talking about, hey man, if you have all the snow in your in your, in your backyard, I could come in and shovel it for you. But that was my first like grasp into entrepreneurship. And then going through life, uh, my parents taught me the 40-40-40 plan, which is basically you work, go to school, get a job, retire by the age of 65, and then die. 
And that's kind of what my mom did uh, at the dive park. <laughs> and basically, going through school, I did exactly that. When I got out of school, I graduated. I got a regular job that I hated. I was a hotel manager in Las Vegas. And I remember every single day just going to work like, oh, my God, this isn't where I want to be. Started a business and reselling that went absolutely terrible. I lost 30K in credit card debt. And from that huge, huge mistake, I found what they call is like remote sales. And then from remote sales, hopped in, started making phone calls. And then I was able to get out of that 30K in credit card debt within about four months. And that completely shifted my mindset in terms of how to start, start a business and make money. And then ever since then, we've been helping people, coaching people, getting into sales, help business owners make over 100 grand a month. And that's kind of the trajectory of how it got started. How old do you think you were when you lost like one of your first closest friends, like on your journey, like someone that you can remember that was like very close to you, like, you know, a childhood friend or something like that, where like where you were going and where they were going, there was a diverging path. Do you, do you remember that specific moment of any person you can you can think of? Well, I'll go this. My father passed away when I was 16. Okay. Uh, due to diabetes and heart problems. And it was a, he had a sudden heart attack. Okay. Uh, my dad's been close to my life. He was a guy always taking, taking me to my basketball games. Yeah. Front row, all soccer games. And he was kind of that guy to like push you. Mm-hmm. Um, wake you up early in the morning, go to basketball practice, all that fun, unfun stuff that most kids hate. Yeah. But yeah, he, he was there to push me. And when he died suddenly, my life kind of went like off the rails. Uh, my mom was the best person she could be, but like moms are more like nurturing, very emotional. Yeah. So having a 14-year-old boy just kind of go off the chains like that, she wasn't ready for it. And I found myself in jail at 16, sorry, 18 years old for a first degree uh, burglary charge. Yeah. Uh, I had so much freedom and I didn't know what to do with it all. But to answer your question, yeah, my dad dying at 16 opened my eyes to what life could be when you don't have discipline and when yeah. you don't have something to kind of contain the beast. It's interesting because I find that any person that has some level of success, they found some demon that they had to overcome um, in order to get to that success. And I find that that demon often shows itself in the way of something or someone that mattered so much that you lost, that something had to change. Either that happened in that moment or that it created the realization that took place later on. And so... Most times I see it with friends when it's like, you know, like, let's say me and you grew up together, like same neighborhood, same school, you know, we were tight. And then, you know, it just came to an age when like everything we talked about just wasn't the same. And like that one, like seamless energy we used to have just doesn't exist anymore. And so people have this realization where it's like, you're just not clicking, you know, to those people. And you feel that you sometimes think about a person or experience. And I think we all relate to that. But there was this. I realize that it just doesn't have to be losing a friend. It can also be losing someone you care about, or it can be this just overwhelming shift in either who you see yourself to be or can be, or how you see someone they used to look up to. And and so I think what's interesting about your perspective about it is because your experience, the lesson that I see you learned is you kind of realized obviously about the discipline, but to me it more prudently, it's the freedom. Freedom can be, freeing as it's supposed to be but it can also be your biggest chains Absolutely. when you don't have a roadmap to understand what actually matters and when you don't have accountability to self your freedom is your biggest chains because you can't actually live the way you're supposed to be living and so it's these kinds of things that when we ask ourselves the hard questions we can come to these realizations do you find that over time with the things that you've been doing do you find that you've been able to come to, in a sense, your lessons and conclusions quicker because you're more willing to get to the truth 
or do you find it takes you more time to kind of like learn from the mistakes? Like, how do you think your progression of learning from your mistakes and learning the lessons that life teaches you has been over the last couple of years? It's a good question, man. Um, I think the biggest realization is a good quote that I like, and it says, what are you willing to give up to mm. go up? And I realized that a lot of the stuff that like we enjoy are things that we are probably the things that hold us back. For example, like I love eating like junk food. I love like Wendy's and yeah. like Sour Patch Kids and all these things. And this time last year, I was 195 pounds. I'm a slim guy now, but before, if you can imagine like Buddha with like a huge belly, like that was me. Yeah, uh, skinny guy, huge belly, and I remember I was eating like all this fast food every single day because it just felt it tasted so good. And I had no control. Yeah. And I got to the point where I would like wake up in the morning with my shirt off and look at myself and I hated what I saw. Yeah. Uh, I remember was, like, an example where one day I was on a date with a girl and she rubbed my belly because she was like, oh, you have a cute little belly there. And I was like, that's not what you want to hear from a girl. Yeah. And that was kind of my breaking point to realize that, all right, something has to change immediately. And I started kind of like, obviously going to the gym and figuring it out. But I kept noticing that I would go to the gym and quit. Yeah. I would start working out and I'll fall back off. I would eat healthy for like two, three days and I would just stop or go back to eating junk food. So to answer your question, when it comes to like what I learned, I had to keep trying different things until I found what worked for me. And last year I joined a gym called Rich and Fit in which it is a high energy, you walk in, it's like a Drake concert, just like yeah. high energy music, uh, great trainers who kind of push you and hold you accountable. But prior to that, I'd always gone to the gym by myself. And I was like, why am I not getting consistent with this? Yeah. And every time I try to eat healthy, I would do it for like a day and stop because I was always going out to eat healthy. But then I would like be hungry and go out to eat Wendy's. So it was like a consistent pattern. Yeah. But I noticed that, okay, so this is not working. Let me try something different. Uh, they always say in order to get something you never had, you got to do things you've never done. Yeah. So for me, I learned that, okay, working on my own isn't working. Going out to eat healthy isn't working. So it took me to kind of realize that, all right, going to the gym with people, hold me accountable, that works. Yeah. In group sessions, bam, check that off. And then when it comes to eating healthy, you'd be surprised, eating at home, going out, getting my groceries from Instacart, that's a huge play for anyone who wants to like, uh, eat healthy without yeah. having to go out grocery shopping, Instacart. And uh, ordering chicken, steak, salmon, all those things. And I was like, oh, I actually like doing this. Yeah. Put in the air fryer, boom. And had I not had tried all those things prior that failed miserably, and me realizing, like, okay, that's not working. I would never have gotten to the point where I lost that 190 pounds. I went from 190 to 175. Yeah. Cool little six-pack now that I'm so blessed to have. Yeah. And living a way healthier life. But I wouldn't have got there had I not figured out what's not working for me. I had an interview with a guy named Kevin Palmer, and he's the, he's the uh, co-founder of a podcast called Next Level University. They, yeah. They've scaled up incredibly. They do a lot of coaching, but they do, I think, an episode a day. Like, they're outputting. Hmm. But... He had this concept he brought to me, and he said, you kind of figure out what kind of shooter you are. Are you like an aim, 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 shoot, recalibrate? Are you just a shoot, figure out where it went, and then try to shoot again and see where it landed? And something that I've noticed in you, which I find very interesting because it's something that I don't naturally go to, is you seem like someone that's like, 
super scientific process. Like this doesn't work. I'm going to try this. Like, you're just kind of like, let me just figure it out. Like, I don't need a plan. Like I am the plan. Like I'm going in and I'm just going to figure this out till it works. You know, like, Oh, I want to work out alone. Well, it didn't work group sessions or like this, you know, like there's just a lot of like trying and iterations and just like a lot of fail forward and failing quickly to get to the end result. And, and so to me, it's like a lot of like, shoot, where'd it land? Okay, let's shoot again. Where'd it land? And just kind of like, you're just m- minimizing the steps you have to take because you know, you're trying to get to this result. And you know you don't know what you're doing yet, so you're just kind of doing it until you figure it out. I've always been, I think I've progressed in different forms, but I've always always been a person where it's like, I just want to come in swinging with a great game plan. Okay. But it's not even like I get stuck in the pre- uh, preparation. It's just sometimes like, sometimes I'm just, I have enough. And it's not even perfectionism. It's, it's just wanting to come in and just like being able to dominate that situation. It's more so how the result is done versus if the result is perfect. And, and it's that subtle difference that, that to me has been so interesting because like if I were looking through through your lens of what you're just saying, I'm saying, well, if I'm not liking the way I look and, you know, to me, the point where I hate is like someone else telling me or like doing that, like they're not saying anything, but you kind of get that message. You know what I'm saying? It it's like, it's those, those kinds of motivations that start, but then it's like, what's actually going to make you consistent? And so then that's where my rabbit hole of research is like, well, how do you reduce the frictions kind of like of the Instacarting? Like you hate going grocery shopping, reduce friction, you Instacart, right? So to me, I'm not focusing on Instacart was the solution as much show as, oh, reduce the friction is getting there to that point. And so I find it interesting because it's almost like I skip the iteration part for a second and I go to the lesson part and then I use the lesson to iterate. Mm. And, and so what I find very interesting is when you have a team, and this is where I want to get back to your point of like, you know, again, building teams and stuff like that. Like I want to hear how you find team dynamics to work for you. When you have people that are different kinds of like executioners, planners and stuff like that, like when you assemble a team based on these kinds of attributes, I find it very interesting to see how like they create assists for one another. Like how do they actually set up successful scenarios when you have these different backgrounds so in your just background of knowing how to build teams and like building teams and stuff like that how do you find team dynamics to work what things have you seen work and not work um just as a general overview yeah man so i look at building teams as your nba head coach or like a gm to an nba team so your job is to find the best of best and bring them on your team to yeah. build a championship so that's how i kind of see it. i'm like building my own LA, uh, los angeles lakers team but for us personally, I build sales teams and we help online coaches make an extra 100K per month by building them an in-house sales team. And I know for one of our clients, his name is David Amari, within the first 60 days, we got his team at $250,000 a month. But before that, he had a team that was doing $10,000 a month. Yeah. So if we go from 10K to 250K, it all came down to the team. And how I look at it is the number one thing to build a great team is leading from the front. Yeah. No one's going to respect a manager or a leader who hasn't been in the field themselves. Yeah. So, for example, in that team, personally, me, I've taken over a thousand sales calls. Uh, I've got every objection you could possibly imagine. Yeah. And everything they're going through on those calls, I've been through. Yeah. So, when I look at building a team, first thing is like obviously you're an expert in what you're leading the team on. But one thing that I think is so underrated is setting the expectation prior to getting on the team. Yeah. You know, if you have anyone had like a regular job, you go through onboarding orientations, you can do this, you don't do that. One of my biggest pet peeves is people who are late. Yeah. And 
for our team meetings, they start every morning at 10 a.m. And on the first day, I always tell them, come to the meetings at 9.55. Because what I've seen is the way you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah. So if you're coming to the meetings early, you're probably coming to the calls, the sales calls early, be prepared, and likely close the deal. Yeah. But I always tell them, if you come to the call late or meetings late, guess what? You'll probably come to the sales call late. Yeah. And who the hell is spending 10 grand with someone coming to a call late? Yeah. So it kind of trickles through. But to answer your question, that's the biggest thing I learned is A, leading from the front, and then B, the way we do anything is how we do everything. And when it even comes to recruiting the best people, they'll only rise to the goals that you set. Yeah. Uh, there's a great book called Atomic Habits. Yeah. yeah. And they say that uh, you don't rise to your goals, you fall to your systems. So when it comes to like the training process, so many people build teams and just like throw them out into the field. Like imagine they're building like a basketball team yeah. and they have their first game the next day, they would definitely suck. Yeah. <laughs> so we always go through like a one week training process. We go through all these role plays and what to say, what not to say, how to use a CRM as a system. So they're so prepared by the time they get on the call. Yeah. Like I said, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. But I would say those are three biggest things that I think help our team succeed more than most teams. Uh, preparation, leading from the front, and then just accountability. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can think about it from so many perspectives. Like I think about like sports, for example. Like you take basketball. It's like you can't just like take a team and be like, yeah, just like don't let them score. Like, I mean, you're like, are you a man to man team? Are you a zone team? You know, like you got some people doing man to man. You got like, you got a key player. You need a lockdown. So maybe this guy's man to man, the rest is zone. Like, I mean, you got a system, you know, soccer's the same way. It's like, you can't have like, I mean, there's like a four, two, three, one formation. You can don't have like everyone in the straight line and then say, go figure it out and defend and score the team. Like, you know, there's things that like, like one thing is selecting the high performers. And the next thing is giving them the tools and the resources to win. But like you said, like if I come onto a team, and the top person doesn't show up on time. They don't really care. Why would I want to outperform the highest guy yeah. if my effort won't even get to that? You know, it's kind of like that meritocracy notion too, where it's like, like I want to be in a, I want to be in a place where I'm rewarded. You know, and I think that's like where the best sales guys thrive. Like, you want to be in a place where you don't feel like you have a glass ceiling. You don't want to feel like you have a cap. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's this understanding too that it's. It's putting yourselves in environments where you feel that you're supported, but you can be unleashed too. And then it's also where you can like, you're always feeling like you have to learn. And so I think that's something that you and I have both seen through, um, you know, groups we're both part of and stuff like that. It's just the proximity to the kinds of people that we put into our lives drastically shape the lenses in which we view things. And sometimes it's not about understanding more. It's just about seeing the world through a different lens or even a broader lens, a bigger lens. Mm. And so I think something that I find interesting in my own life is the times that I've applied an expanding mindset of like, let me look at how I was looking at something and let me just blow it out of proportion and see from this angle. So give give me, I think, one or two of some of those reframing things that have happened based on people that you've known and met where they've kind of told you something or asked you to look at the world a different way that kind of helped you catapult some of your success in life? Yeah, absolutely, man. I think the number one thing that people fail to realize is everything can be a blessing or a lesson mm. at the end of the day. Um, every L you take is just not really an L, it's a lesson. Yeah. That's how I see it. And for example, in sales calls, you could be on a sales call and get completely blown out. Yeah. You might do an outbound call and they pick up the phone, it's like, don't effing call me again. Yeah. Or you pick up the phone, they'd be like, bro, 
I'm so sick and tired of hearing from you. Like, do not call me. Yeah. Most folks will break down from that. Yeah. They'll be like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm not calling anymore again. Yeah. But the way I always see it is like, okay, great. Something either I said turned them off or maybe it was a bad lead. Yeah. If I keep trying to, trying, trying to, trying to like this, I have to like adjust something. And if I do a hundred calls like that and I got the same responses, it's probably me. And that's one reframe I always look at. And even like, even if you don't get a sale, for example, what did I say on that call for that to happen? You know, go through, listen to it again and kind of like reframe it. So I'm a big person on reframing. Um, even I think we both are a huge like YouTube and like, I think you might be like a history guy from last yeah. time we talked a little bit. So I've been diving deep in like world history and mm-hmm. understanding like how America was founded and, and everything. And a lot of folks look at CRISPR Columbus mm-hmm. and how he came to America and he like slaughtered all the Native Americans and it was a horrible idea. Yeah. But when I'm learning this stuff, I look at the perspective of, okay, you had a guy who had an idea to just conquer. Yeah. Take territory, take land. What did he do that was so successful? And you look at like the form of America, how it was like a very small country. At one point, like Mexico engulfed like all Texas and California and whatnot. And at a point, like America had enough land but they wanted more and i see that from a perspective of okay people are successful they always want more there's never they're never content so that's one example i look at in terms of people can see it from one view or another and i think the biggest perspective shift i like too is let's say people in world history like donald trump a lot of folks hate donald trump i like the guy I like his business acumen yeah so I'm also able to like distinguish what I like versus the general consensus of a lot of things. Like look at Donald Trump, successful business guy. He must have done something right for him to be a billionaire. And always those small mindset shifts is what kind of helps me. You can see the glass half full or half empty. But the question is like, how do you view the glass? And like those are little ones that I take off. I think it's also part of it too. Like, a, like there's an underlying message in the lessons that you just shared that's kind of like you take the personal out of it. You can respect to some degree as someone like Donald Trump or someone um, like Christopher Columbus, regardless of what they did, because you understand that there's elements that you can learn from. But if your emotions are clouding your ability to use your mind and rationale, you can't take that apart. Now, that doesn't justify actions, right? Using, using the mind to understand somebody has nothing to do with the justification of whatever they did. Like anybody could look at someone even as bad as, for example, Hitler, and you can look at how he amassed an army or used the youth to like create the biggest army. That's a strategical move that has nothing to do with his emotions, his actions, or his motives, right? Because that's a completely different side of the story. It's the same way in the sales call. You're analyzing why it didn't work, not, oh, this guy doesn't want to take my call because I'm the worst person that ever walked the earth. Like, it's not about you. It's about the client, and you didn't close them. What are you going to do about it? And I love that point about successful successful people always want more because... Not a lot of people, especially if they haven't studied or looked at some examples of history, have seen someone that consider themselves a failure because of the standards of success they compare themselves to. Alexander the Great did so much because he wanted to beat his father, Philip of Macedon, who was great. But nobody remembers him as great as Alexander because Alexander passed him. So he got the, he got the up on his dad. But the whole time, even though he had the best people like Aristotle where he studied under... He just wanted to be bigger than his dad. He wanted to conquer more than his dad. But let's look at the flip side. I, I think it's called Metal Death is the band this guy started. But basically there was um, this band. And the drummer got kicked out of this band. 
And he was so mad. He was like, I am going to do whatever it takes to sell more albums, more DVDs, more records, go on more tours, make more money than that band. Mm. That, 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 that is his motivation. He has got this hatred that is driving him. This band, I think, was Metal Death. I don't know how, many, how long they went. I think they were the second highest rock band maybe in history, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Second highest. That's a pretty a feat accomplishment. I mean, if you're like second highest in your industry, that's, that's a titan. The band they lost to was Metallica. That's what he got kicked out of. Oh, really? He considered himself a failure until his death. So imagine being the second biggest titan in your industry and your whole life you consider yourself a failure because you didn't do what you said you would do and that was beat the only group that was better than you and that was the group that won. Wow. Wow. That's real, bro. That is real. I think that's the point, right? They say anything that settles goes to the bottom. Yeah. So the moment you start being content and comfortable, the moment you start taking the L, essentially. Yeah. And I even look at it from the perspective of, like, let's say people who are comfortable getting a paycheck. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe people who are employed. Yeah. They get that paycheck coming every single day. So that comfortability is what actually causes, like, their downfall if they want to become an entrepreneur because they're just so comfortable in life. And I always believe that in order to get comfortable, you have to get uncomfortable. Yeah. And the most successful people, like the people you just mentioned, like, they were always willing to get uncomfortable yeah. with what they were doing. Like, what your guy had to accomplish to become, like, the second best or the best here, uh, I'm sure that was, like, the hardest thing in the world. Oh, yeah. To get there. But, it requires the utmost level of sacrifice and dedication. But, but here's where the beauty is, and here's where it changes from, the most, from most of the narratives that we hear online. You lose if you're that guy because he was never really happy or didn't, he didn't find his work meaningful because it meant nothing in, comparati- in comparison to the scope of why he did it. You lose against me if you're always comparing yourself against me. Not progression, not the work you're doing. You know, you can compare like, oh, like, oh, I see him working a little more than I am. Like, maybe I should pick up the pace. Like, you know, he has more, th- I have more things going on or I have less things going on than he does. Maybe that's a notion that I'm not doing enough. But the minute we create this environment of jealousy because we're going away from our own purposes, the, the minute where we have to kind of take stock of like, what are our actual aims here? Because maybe you started going to the gym because that girl broke your heart. Maybe you started that business because your teacher said you would never amount to anything. Maybe you quit your job because you got in this community and they inspired you to become an entrepreneur. But what do you actually care about in life? You know, like at the end of the day, what actually matters to you? Do you want to be Mike, the guy that started all these great teams and created sales teams that generated millions and billions of dollars for these companies, but maybe had a little bit less on the family side? Because that's sometimes the trade-off. Not that it will be, but that's a question you have to ask yourself. Because for some people, that might be a no-brainer. For some people, that might be a huge mistake. For some people, that might be only two things that matter, is the business and the family. But maybe not as much friends, or maybe not as much socializing, maybe not going out. Life is about trade-offs. And I firmly believe in the saying for myself that I don't have any regrets. But I would be a fool if I didn't admit that every decision that I have taken had an opportunity cost. And I have been, either, either if in that moment it wasn't the decision that I wanted to take or felt that was the right decision, I made damn sure that I took advantage of learning the lesson from that choice that I made even if I like the opportunity costs better, but it's that notion. Like we have to divorce ourselves from everything that culture is saying, take information, take knowledge, take stock of what the world is doing, of course, but you gotta know what you actually care about because that's what determines success for your own life. 
Because I think that, and, and, and this is a fallacy I think a lot of high performers get into, is that sometimes we kind of gloss over the fact that we're all trying to perform, that we forget that sometimes we're not performing the most at the things that matter most to us. Because we get carried away. I mean, that's a high performer, man. You get carried away. Like, you're winning and you don't want to stop. But sometimes that's the harsh reality of facing. And, and, and so it's those kinds of things we got to think about. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree, bro. Um, they say there's something called a high-income activities. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times entrepreneurs get stuck in the day-to-day stuff, you know, team meetings, Zoom calls, all that crap. But uh, to go to your point then, I always try to look at, all right, is what I'm doing actually going to make me more money? Yeah. And uh, there was about a month that I got into like, this huge management perspective because mm-hmm. as a sales manager, constantly like, managing a lot of things, don't do that, to a sales team, do this, you know, training and stuff. And I'm like, okay, am I actually making money here? And I had to go back to the roots and remember that, okay, my money's going to be made from taking sales calls yeah, with new clients or for my sales teams, whatever like that. And it's always like a good like reframe to figure out like, okay, like what did I do today to actually move me one step closer? Yeah. Uh, one of my mentors, he has this thing where he says, all right, for one hour every single day, and I challenge everyone listening to this, like one hour every single day, like take one hour to dedicate toward like your goals or your dreams. Yeah. Because you'd be surprised how fast the day moves, man. It's crazy. And that's always kind of like my reframe to say, like, all right, what did I do today to take one step forward toward the goal so you don't get super distracted, which is easy nowadays. Yeah. Um, we went to Yellowstone National Park, uh, part of the standard, yeah. about uh, two weeks ago, well, three weeks ago. And I remember we had no service out there whatsoever. And if you've ever been a day without your phone, it's kind of weird. You try to check it. You can't get on Instagram. It's like, what's going on? Like, my mind's like going through like a fog or something. But I remember for the whole day, we didn't have Instagram, and we did so much stuff within that day. Hiking, climbing, fishing, like almost eight different activities. And by the end of the day, I was like, beat. But it made me realize like that concept of time in terms of you can get so much done in a day if you don't have any distractions. Yeah. And that was the one thing that I kind of like took, a, t- took away from it to help uh, you know stay focused. Yeah, I've been working on that. I actually kind of oriented my calendar where I said like, I want like three overarching focuses of a day. And so it's like, okay, Monday's going to be like, for example, like, I mean, we have to do a lot of content. So it's going to be like um, batch editing content. Like everything that has to be edited is done on Monday. So Monday is scripting, editing, and transcribing. It's on the same path line. It's the same focus. But we're not losing time. Because what happens to us on a day-to-day basis, regardless if you're someone that's comfortable in life or if you're a high performer, we're doing this. Okay, we do this. I want to take some notes over a conversation. I go on my phone after this. Okay, let me see if I can post anything from today's thing. Okay, I go on Instagram, and then I'm checking something else. Then I get a call, and I'm like, oh, i got to take this call. Okay, I do that, and then someone needs to help with something. Okay, now i got to actually work on this, so I go back to the content, and I work for 30 minutes. Something else comes up. We're constantly losing time, and we're losing mental focus based on the shifts that we have to do throughout the day. Mm. And we're just we're giving away our energy and stuff like that to things that aren't as relevant, you know? Because, like, what, like what, what honestly would happen? Like, would the world stop if you said, instead of taking calls randomly not sales calls but like calls from your team for example randomly throughout the day like just basic calls not urgent from like eight to eight and i said call me between eight and nine twelve and one or seven and eight you need something send me a message in those times we'll, we'll chop it up right there get it done and then instead of that other time where you're worried about getting interrupted or having your phone on do not disturb because you're wondering if your team's going to call you about something you get more work done and, and so it's these kinds of questions. Like some people, that's not a case because you can't do that. And some people, you can't. But it's kind of like, 
sometimes it's this idea of like marry the idea that you can be better. Nothing else. The system can always improve. The idea can always change. The people can always evolve or change. You know, so it's all, it's, it's marrying the idea of evolution itself mm. in a sense. And, and so it's these kinds of things that I always find so interesting because I mean, I think about it from a T perspective, but I think about it in a personal life. I'm like, if I say that I'm on the path to becoming who I truly want to be, am I actually doing the things that get me to be that person? And to me, it's creating the ideal scenario now. Like, I'm going to be honest with everyone here. I don't have everything that I've ever wanted. That's a fact. But am I completely content right now where I'm at? There's no other place I'd be right now than sitting with you and talking about this. That's a, that's a fact. We're, we're sitting here in Atlanta. It's a great view. It's a great setup. It's a great conversation. It's a great person to be speaking with. This is a great part of my journey. So why am I going to be worried about the things that I didn't do yesterday or the things I got to do tomorrow? Those will come. And I'm prepared because I have systems in place when those do come. But that allows me to be here. That's why something like Yellowstone is not impactful. Because a lot of us don't have that. We get so caught up in our lives that when we put our head up, we're like, hey, what happened? And, and so it's this idea of, are we really living our own lives? You know, I remember one of the craziest chapters, maybe even pages of a book I ever read, was The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle. Oh, yeah, solid. I, I still haven't finished the book, but I remember I opened the first five pages and I'm like, what is this guy talking about? Because, like, it's just not conventional. Like, this nihilistic energy sucker of a moment is going on in this book. And then he just felt nothing. It just went quiet. Like, how many of us have those kinds of moments? Maybe not that, maybe not that drastic, but these moments that we just ignore because we say we, there's things that have to get done. Because the reality is, is that people like me and you don't suffer with the fact that we know things have to get done. You know, like we can't be lazy for, for a month without feeling so bad about ourselves that we do something about it. That's just not a possibility. Your bank account like, will show it. The bank account will show it, but what are you going to do with yourself for a month? Like, honestly, yeah. not when you intentionally go out and take a vacation, which a month is still really long. But you know what I'm saying? Like to not do any work, to not do any progress on yourself, stuff like that. Like, like what honestly are you going to do except just not be great? You know, I, I think it's almost selfish not to do anything. Yeah. Uh, Especially if you think about it, right? If you have like a family, mm -hmm. you not doing anything, your family is suffering, literally. And I use that on sales calls too because it's the thought process of your goals are bigger than you. Yeah. Like what you do impacts more people beside you. Uh, for example, like we run a team of like probably four or five people um, like internally. Mm -hmm. And I have an admin named Sherby from the Philippines. I mean, beast admin. Beast. Oh, reports on time. Anything I need done in an instant. And I do think a lot about her income is tied solely to me. Yeah. In terms of me getting more clients, me having given her stuff to do, having her be full time. And there was a point in our business where we actually lost our biggest client, bro. Um, it was paying us roughly 15, 18K a month. month at that time, my biggest client. Mm -hmm. And he let us go uh, simply because we had a different just understanding of where we want to take the business. And I take my admin, Sherby, from full time to part time. Cut her hours literally in half. And I felt so bad about that because I was like, dang, I don't have as much stuff for her to do. Yeah. And at that time, I only had two clients that we worked with. And I was like, damn, she has a family. You know, two kids who are beautiful, a husband, and she's like the breadwinner. And that forced me to go out and get more clients then, solely because of her, honestly. Because yeah. I was kind of comfortable. I was like, I mean, my, my money's good. Yeah. But hers isn't. 
So to go back to your point about like, all right, like what's going to keep you driving and motivating? Sometimes it's like, who else is this affecting? Yeah. And especially if you have kids or a family or your future family. Taking one day off, I mean, your daughter or your, or your son is suffering, essentially. You know, you can't get that time back. So it's just an interesting perspective of your goals are bigger than you. And for everyone, too, like in sales, bro, that's like my biggest sales bar that I love to drop. It's probably the main thing that gets me the most sales. Yeah. Anytime we're at the objection handling stage and they're kind of on the fence a little bit, I'll always go back to what they said earlier in terms of like their goals and who they affected. And it'll always go back to saying, all right, man, if we don't do this today, like what does little Cindy's life look like? Yeah. If another year goes by, she can't go to Disney World. Mm-hmm. What does your wife's life look like if she has to work another year at a job she doesn't want to? Yeah. So when's the best time, Mr. Johnson, for us to make a change? And I say today. But yeah, man, I agree, bro. Definitely have to incorporate other people into the goals. And I'm going to put a pin on this because this is good. But if you if you put everything aside and it was just you, do you honestly think you could have some you could be you could be truly happy in a sense going a month without doing any kind of work on yourself or business work? Not an intentional trip. Like I'm not talking about going and like trying to discover yourself or some nature retreat. Like I'm talking about just genuinely lounging around, not doing anything for a month. No obligation. Nothing. Nothing. At this point in my life, I would say for sure no. But all right, so I'm a big person like rewards. Yeah. Like I love the concept of work hard, work hard now, like play play later. Yeah. Like even if like for my diet, eating healthy. Yeah. I eat healthy Monday through Friday and then Saturday I have a crazy cheat day. <laughs> it's disgusting, bro. Like Wendy's, Popeyes, it's bad. So I do look forward to that day. Yeah. Now to answer your question on a different perspective, I could see myself taking a full day off. Or full month after like 90 days of going hard. Yeah. Okay. Then I can see that being absolutely because that's like the reward. But it'd have to be proportionate to the amount of work that went in on a, like the work that had to go in had to be on a higher proportional scale. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Like it couldn't just be like your normal cycle and then you just take a month off. Yeah. For for no, for no reason. I mean like just, just genuinely just lounge around. Yeah. Yeah, man. I think humans are driven by like pleasure. Right. At the end of the day, they say there's two things and there's two things to get people to move their pain or pleasure. Yeah. The pain of going away from something or the pleasure of going towards something. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, it's pain. For me personally, it's the pleasure. Yeah. I will move a lot faster knowing I have a, a pleasure moment in sight. Um, I remember personally, I went to like Dominican Republic about yeah. four months ago. Oh, bro, I was so excited <laughs> for that trip. That's <laughs> funny. It was me and my buddy. And I had planned that trip out with him like three yeah. months out. So every single day... Waking up early, going to the gym, focusing on the business. I uh, doing a lot of stuff that I hated doing in the business, but I was like, all right, but I'm two months away. I'm one month away. I'm two weeks away. I'm one day out. And that was like one of the things that kind of like kept me dry, driving toward that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the pain of like losing money or the pain of doing X, Y, Z. It was yeah. like, I really want to go to DR and have some fun. That's fun. And that kept me going there. So yeah, it's all about perspective, I guess. No, that is true. That's interesting. Yeah, the pain and pleasure centers are definitely something that's, that's powerful because a lot of people do go from pain. To be honest with you, yeah, I mean um, they do, and I don't think it's not unhealthy when you start from it, but when you continue it, it just there's an emptiness to it, you know. Like if you're like, like if you go back to the example we talked about earlier, we're like oh, like I always wanted to prove my teacher wrong that I could start a business, and then you go out and get the fancy car. All of that came from your willingness to appease them, you know. Mm. Like who wins really? Like if you did that all that for them, who wins? But the reality is, is that's not really the case for most people. Yeah. They believe that. 
But the truth is that somewhere along the way, you realize that you're doing it for you. And you realize that at some level, you also get proud of yourself because you're like, damn, you know, Mike, 15-year-old Mike, 14-year-old Mike saw me today. You'd be like, that's the that, that guy's got the stuff right there. That guy's exactly who I'd want to be. And it's not that you couldn't be better, but like you just, you, there's just a level of pride that I think that when you actually do the work that has to be put in, you get. And, and it's so peaceful because you realize that that's the only pride that really matters. Not that you don't seek validation from other sources because we're humans. We're, we're, we're going to be wired that way. But like at the deepest core level, like when you can just be happy knowing that the past self would be happy with who you are now, that's a healthy place to grow from. And... And going back to what we were just talking about before, I, I wanted to you just really see the opinion, too, that you had. I find it very interesting of how people that want a certain outcome in life are willing to give up or push through things to get it. The sacrifices people are willing to make for what they want. Because the better the performer, the more ruthless they are with the things they need to do in order to get there. But then there's the trade-off of how far is too much, too. Because how, how much do you... Like, are you willing to give up everything and then not have nothing when you get the thing that you said you wanted? You know? Because sometimes it's... Some people sacrifice relationships. They sacrifice their families. They sacrifice everything. And, and so it's also kind of understanding, like, how do you paint the holistic picture? Like earlier we talked we we talked about the subject of understanding that success is relative and you define your own success. But the holistic picture is about like example, we were talking obviously before the episode and we're I mean I'm here in Atlanta doing some interviews. We're here doing this one, we're having a conversation, I'm meeting a couple people doing a couple stuff down here. We have the social what I do, I brought my girlfriend down here. There's things that she and I do that help me go faster and further. But there's also compromises I have to make and sacrifices I have to make because now I have someone else alongside me that's not me. So I now have to count for a person that I don't control and they're going to have different outlooks, different perspectives, and different progress and different things in life. So in a sense, that holds me back, right? In, in the theological sense, like, like if I can't go at that speed, I technically have to slow down in those aspects. So there's the trade-off. But then I say, if there's someone that I truly care about and I want in the big picture... Do would I rather get to the success maybe a year or part of the success a year faster, a year and a half faster, but then look around and have no one to celebrate with the person that I wanted to celebrate with the whole time? Or am I willing to give that up, learn a couple of the things, build some other skills like relationship management, like understanding how to express and really mitigate what you're actually feeling, being able to compromise and create systems that are win-wins no matter what the situation is? Because that success means a lot more to me than just whatever one I think I'm pursuing too. Because high performers, and this is where I want to get your take. How do you view your own ego as a high performer? How do I view my own ego? Start with one word if you can try that and then just talk about it. If you had to define your ego in one word, mm. what do you think? How do you define ego? I would define ego as the identity of self. Yeah. But not the consciousness of self, but more so the prideful sense of self. 
the accomplished side of self, the self that has vanity and that wants validation and that chooses success. Hmm. Man, that's a good question. For sure. When I I look at ego, I I think of personally, bro. I'm a very team oriented people person. Mm-hmm. In terms of, remember I said earlier to get the things we never had, we got to do things we never done. Yeah. Most of the stuff that I failed at was because I did it on my own. Mm-hmm. All the huge light speed changes in my life always happen with somebody else. Mm-hmm. For example, going back to the gym, super skinny, scrawny. I remember there was a moment at the gym to where we're doing these things called like shoulder head presses. And we have like 245 on each side. It's not lightweight at all. Mm-mm. And I could probably maybe do three, four reps of those. And my trainer, Timmy, swole jack guy, he's always the one just like pushing me in your face, high energy, like, let's go type of guy. And I remember I do like one, I do two, I do three, I do four. And then I'm thinking, like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to put this bad boy down, and then, and then this is it. And I remember at that moment, Timmy looks at me like, bro, don't you dare put that effing weight down. Yeah. I was like, oh, crap. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, bro, two more. I'm like, what? I'm dead right now. And I remember saying, okay, whatever. Step back. And out of nowhere, ended up repping out two. Bam, bam, two. When I thought I had reached my limit and my max. So when I guess when it goes down to ego, how I kind of view myself is I've always been around people to push me to the next level. And I've always been basically the average of the person that people I've surrounded myself with. You look at the standard, you know, hanging out with Jay Hines a lot. Man. Mm-hmm. That guy pushing me to a whole new level sometimes. Uh, prior to that, sweatpants type of guy. T-shirts, looks like, what's his name? Mark Zuckerberg, heavy. Didn't even care about how I look at all. But I remember when we went to Mexico, mm-hmm. part of the standard, and going out with these guys, it's a freaking fashion ordeal everyone yeah if you're not dressed up you're not going out with us yeah look crazy they might send you back in the crib or something like that and i wasn't i was my first time i joined the program two weeks prior and i'm still trying to understand like what what this whole thing is so we're going to the nightclub and i just have on like a polo some real casual slacks and like i think a pair of white shoes and when i leave i see everyone else like suited and booted yeah i mean a pocket square one guy got a top hat on i'm like (laughs) oh snap I immediately go back inside and change. Yeah, but I would, and it raised me to a new level. But I would never have done that had I not been around those group of guys. Yeah, and when I look at ego, yeah, my ego has been definitely leveled up and raised by the other folks around me. Yeah, and that's been a common theme throughout my life. There's other people helping me out. That's interesting because I most people don't have that approach to ego. Like I mean, some people just hide from it because they don't want to admit to themselves who they truly are. But I think your life experiences are interesting because. In many ways, your ego's been sat down a lot of times because you realize that, you know, alone, you're not doing what you need to be doing, but together, you get into places. So your ego's been like, like, even when your ego's probably had those moments where it rose up, you know, like we all do, you know, it's those moments where it sits down because it's like, man, I was trying to do this and it never worked. And then I tried with this person, like, go take a seat. But there's this concept I've been reflecting on. So I, I try to, and I, and I, and I always aim for consistency on these things because I think um, consistency is one of those important things. I do this. 10 minute meditations in the morning, but I do a 10 minute success visualization at night and the meditation I've done for a little bit longer, but the sex um, success visualization has been much more recent. And what I've been trying to, this concept I've been studying in the visualization is what's like one thing that universally applied 
to anyone, but especially the, the type of people we talk to, the Mavericks, the high performers, it would help. Regardless, regardless if they are making millions of dollars a year, right? Like what can I personally, given not only my experience, but what I've applied from the lessons I've learned from other people and my intuitive abilities, say to these people that I know with 100% certainty would deliver value. And I said this one concept that um, Da Vinci talked about, Leonardo Da Vinci, and he said, study art as a science and study science as an art. Realize that everything connects to everything else. Descartes, who was a philosopher, also said the simplest phrase that most people talk about, I think, therefore I am. And I thought about that term over time since I ever heard it. But what I came to realize is that the one true nature of everything that we actually do as an individual is tied to consciousness. So if we put all our willpower and effort and concentration into consciousness and allow our consciousness, what our intuitive ability, connection to a higher power or energy, guide everything else that does, we begin to control the mind, we begin to control the ego, the superego, we begin to control the body, our emotions. I asked myself, how much more dangerous would someone be if they, were, if they controlled themselves using their consciousness above all else? Because the mind quits before the body does, right? If something's hard, the mind tells you to stop. But like you said, you had someone that pushed past the mind and the body was able to do what it needed to do. The emotions cloud the mind from doing what it's supposed to do and that's rationally interpret a situation. You think about something emotionally, you're going to make a mistake, right? It's not about being a heartless person. It's about thinking with your heart less. Mm. Emotions will do that. Now, what does it come to the other stuff? Well, your ego will create drive. It will create this ambition, right? Ego is drive and ambition. It's desire for status. But if you let that consume you, we talk about what we did before, empty success, non-holistic success. You might have got what you thought you wanted, but you're, you're going to have anyone around to share it with you. You're going to pursue something that maybe wasn't the most meaningful after all. You're going to sacrifice parts of yourselves that are important. So that has to be controlled too. But consciousness is the one thing that I haven't discovered necessarily needs oversight. It's just the hardest thing to listen to and the hardest thing to apply. Because it's almost, it's literally like faith. You have no idea whether or not it's the right thing. You just have to have faith. Because consciousness is about faith. Faith in your future self, faith in you're doing the right thing. Because not all of it makes sense. And not all of it has to make sense. And that letting go, that surrendering to, your, to the current, sometimes forces us to give a lot of power away. But through that is the way we get the most power. And that was the thing I reflected on because I was like, man. I was like, if I'm starting to apply this in my life, I was like, how would this affect other people that I know, you know? Because it's a crazy concept if you think about it. But it makes more sense once you start to kind of get into the details of like, how do we control our actions? And how do we control where we understand our actions coming from? You know, because sometimes it's getting the information, but sometimes when you interpret that information in the ways that make sense to you, that's different. You know, like I know a lot of people who read books, you know, they just, they try to study stuff like that. But there's some books to you that might just be more of a click than they are to me. And those clicks are a lot of times based on the things that we need more, you know, like you move towards pleasure. It's a, it's a thing that you do. Yeah. Why? 
the books that you read might help you understand that better than me that might say my my movement is away from the pain that I never want to be complacent. I follow Stoic philosophy and we always want to never leave any doubt that we are who we say we are. And that's moving from pain. We never want to have that discrepancy that we aren't who we say we want to be. Why does that come from? So the books I read talk about that. It was even, it was even interesting because this goes back to the conversation about like, when, especially when you have like a partner or something like that, there's trade-offs that you have to make. I, I got this book. It's called Getting the Love That You Want. Man, I read that book and I just made so much sense about so many things. Like I, I remember going to her and I was like, man, you won't believe this book. Like I was like, about to be twice as good as I was before. Like it's just, it's just so funny because so many things just clicked. Everything, like the little things, the things that were like little conflicts that didn't matter, but they will matter because the little things do matter. I understood why. And, and it's like these discoveries, and this is what I like about conversations, especially between like two people that, Above many things are curious. That's what I love about the guests that are being here. I try to make sure one thing is consistent and that's curiosity and performance. I like people that have momentum and are going after things and are relentless. But I like people who are curious, man. Like what, what's it like to sit across from someone that doesn't want to know more about what you're trying to say? Like why be across from them? You know? Mm -hmm. I think yeah, go ahead. I, I think, uh, well, to that point, when it comes to like listening, right? I heard mm -hmm. the quote is like, listen to understand rather than listen to talk. Mm -hmm. And I feel most people listen to talk than actually understand, which is why people don't have that curiosity like how you do, which I appreciate. But to even go back to what you were saying in terms of like why people do the things that they do, they say your past will dictate your present essentially. And maybe it was Aristotle, don't quote me on this, but mm -hmm. they talk a lot about like your childhood and you can deem a lot from your childhood of how your future will be. And I think that's what you can probably define like who somebody really is based off how they grew up. Like I know for me, based off talking to you a little bit, it sounds like like for pleasure for me personally, like I grew up in a very chill household. Yeah. Both parents in my life. Dad was at every soccer game. Mom was home every single day. Growing up, I never had any real pains. Mm -hmm. Unlike a lot of my friends who I know come from a very troubled backgrounds. Yeah. Um, one of my one of my friends from high school she had a crazy story about how her dad treated like her mom in terms of like it was a very abusive relationship yeah and she told me a story of how like her dad literally dropped some food on the floor and made her mom pick up the eat the food off the floor in front of her mm. at like 12 years old That's and crazy. that scarred her for life and yeah. she's driven a lot by pain and a lot of other things that happened and i look at like i said it's your point of like what happened to people's childhoods and when it comes to the pleasure thing, if people never had a hard life, then they're going to probably be driven to more like pleasure. Yeah. You look at people like, you know, rappers or artists who came from very hard backgrounds, that hardness, like the pain drives them. So it is very interesting speaking to people to understand like how they grew up then, because that's how you could probably dictate their future. And that's a question I ask a lot on sales when I interview closers or interview reps. It's all asking them like, all right, so talk to them about like your past, talk to them yeah. about your past jobs. If you see someone has to go from like job to job to job, it's kind of like a bad yeah. sign, probably. Yes, it but is. the past can dictate a lot about someone's future in terms of their work ethic, ability, you know, where they're going in life. See, that was one of the things that I appreciated more after reading that book that I just mentioned, because it talks about a lot of us choose our partners based on our parents. Yeah, for sure. It does. But it's it, it's it's deeper than what I originally thought, because I've heard that and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. 
but it's it's a, it's more based on the weaknesses of our the shortcomings of our parents more so than the strengths. And it's not to overcome the weaknesses; it's to get the same weaknesses that our parents had. Because we want to recreate the environment of our childhood to try to heal past traumas that were unfinished. So instead of finding people that covered the bases, we want to create the environment so we can fix it and do it right. Because now we have power and ability to control our own circumstances, and we feel that if we bring that person into our lives, we can create the environment where we get the chance to fix that. And we desperately desire that chance to fix that shortcoming that neglected something in our own childhood. Mm. And I read that, and I was like, what? I was like, that's crazy. But the one thing that to me that's always been so interesting about my own journey, that like even talking to everybody else, it was the one thing that I always thought so interesting because... To be honest, I don't hear it that much. I had a two-parent household. I came from, I mean, I wasn't wealthy, but I came from people that, like, if I needed something, I could get it. Like, I, I reliably had everything that I needed uh, and more so. And, you know, I had parents that, you know, a father that, I played sports all my life. And my father used to play um, professional soccer in Colombia um, until he was, like, 22 when he moved to the States. Um, he told me that he never really made it because he just wasn't mentally strong enough. And so he'd never beat over the other guy. But, you know, he was always there for me. He definitely pushed me in soccer. Like we had those conversations. And my mom's always been that kind of person that's always like, let me find the best opportunities and make sure you're there. Let me talk to the parents and see what they're doing and let me make sure you're in the, in the minute. So I had every resource really to like become the best person, but I didn't have the, the need to be that best person. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, like you said, like you, like you don't have that fire. Right. So why do you have to take advantage of it? And I remember, like, I was always good at things because I was smart and I had, you know, good parents that gave me this stuff. And, like, I did good at sports and stuff like that. But I was never, I never went to be, like, the best, you know? There were very few things that I was the best at when I was growing up, even though I could be at some points. Like, for example, reading. Man, nobody beat me in reading. We used to have this competition (laughs) called AR Points. I remember, I think it was second grade, man, I beat the entire school in books read. From kindergartens to fifth grades. Like, I, I was, like, I, I, I did not mess around with that. And I realized that throughout life, one of the biggest trends is that if I'm curious or interested about something, yeah, I'm going to find everything about it. Like, if I'm like, oh, I want to learn about this thing, oh, you believe me. I'm going to read every research thing. I'm going to look at the books. I'm going to look at the stuff. I'm going to talk to the people. I'm going to figure out exactly what it is because I'm interested. And, and so that was one of the things I learned. But one of the things that was so interesting to me is that the stage that my family and my parents set for me, everything started to click and propel me forward when the catalyst moment happened. And my catalyst is the reason that I find it different than other else. And that's why I'm so curious about listening to others because I always, I always try to find like what those catalyst moments are because I think they're very important because they, they say a lot about like what mattered to you and what had to change for you to become who you are. And it was... It wasn't a breakup. It wasn't a death in the family. It wasn't losing a friend. It was COVID. Because I finally faced the reality that I was not happy or even proud of the person that I was. The discrepancy between my own reality and the person that I thought I could might be if I started to change what I did knocked me cold on my feet, man. And I've told this story before, but really just to give you the, the, the drop down, man. Like, I was a night owl. I was a guy that played video games. I was a guy, you know, I was jerking off two, three times a day. If we're being, if we're being honest, man, like this, this is this is what we're talking about, man. That was the kind of person I was, you know. Like I would come home from school to do the homework as quick as I can. That wasn't that great because I was barely given an effort on it, so I could do those things that I just talked about. 
that was what I wanted to do. That was my pleasure stuff. COVID happened. Man, for a student, that's like the best thing that happens to you because you don't have class. Like you've mentioned, freedom. It's dangerous. But it changed, man. I mean, first three, two, three weeks, like there was no responsibility. There's nothing I had to do. What else am I going to do? Mm. That was that one month that I tell you pretty much. And I remember like kind of how you said with like the whole belly thing. Like I remember, man, it was one day I just looked at myself in the mirror. And I mean, I had worked out before and I played soccer and stuff like that. But that was the only thing that barely kept me in shape because I enjoyed the sport. I remember looking at myself and I was like, I can't. I was like, who is this guy? I was like, you don't, you haven't done anything. Like if you, if you, if like if I, I think I asked myself the question. I was like, if you died today, is there anything that's really memorable about your life? Not that you haven't done things well or add anything, but is there anything memorable? Like really? Are you happy? And I was so disgusted because that was like the first time I ever felt that I was fat. And I was never like a fat, but I was I always had some weight, you know what I mean? Like 10, 15 pounds, like nothing, nothing crazy. I wasn't a fat kid, but like I definitely wasn't fit, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, that was the first time I really considered. I was like, man. And then I had this overwhelming hope. I was like, man, I'm young. What is there to do except press my upside, press the advantage? I was like, what if I just like, I don't got my friends' contacts because I'm quarantined. I don't got relationships right now. It's me against the world. What if I just changed everything? And so most people talk about like small steps. I was like, bro, we going with the 180. Like I was like, I'm not playing these games. Like I am done feeling like this, man. I went from the 12 o'clock or like going to bed at 2 in the morning, waking up at 12 o'clock life. 7.30 was my bedtime. 4.30 I was waking up. I was running a mile. I couldn't run a mile at first, so I was walking a mile. But I, you know, I was getting a mile done. I'd work out for an hour, an hour and a half. Nice. And then I'd have a huge breakfast, and I would fast by eating from 8 to 4. And I was reading books like Can't Hurt Me, David Goggins was the first book that I really listened to during that time. And that was, man, you listen to Goggins when you're, when you're about to go on Beast Mode? That's like, that's like I, I, don't know, I don't know if that's even safe, but you know what I'm talking about. Like, it's, it's just crazy. And ever since then, everything's been different, man. Like, I'm a morning person now. Like, I get up at 5 in the morning to go work out. Now, I mean, that's what I do, and I love it. I completely changed the paradigm of who I was. And every time I kind of look at stuff or, like, there's things that I compare myself to, I'm like, I always go back to that, to that Isaac, man. That kid that, that was staring himself in the mirror with that belly hanging out, yeah. who just wasn't anything yet. Yeah, bro. I think it's powerful what you're saying. Um, I'll say something that people probably won't like, but... Mm-hmm. If you're fat or you're poor, it's a hundred percent your fault. Mm-hmm. Thousand. If you yeah. are obese, it's your fault. Yeah. Because you have the option to change it. Yeah. Everyone's not born fat. You're born regular, but you can choose what you put in your mouth. Yeah. And that's all being fat is. <laughs> you're eating more calories than your body needs. That's it. And you can control that, which is awesome. Yeah. And to be surprised for most people, you don't even need to work out really to lose weight. You just need to stop eating, just eat less. And even when it comes down to money, it's the same concept. Everyone has a phone. Everyone has the internet. Everyone has the ability to get information, to start a business, go into sales, um, make more of yourself. You all have that ability. Like one example I can think of is um, one of my one of my students, Amika, who amazing female closer. Mm-hmm. She was recently in a crazy divorce she's like in her 40s and 
her husband was like the main provider in mm-hmm. the relationship and they divorced and she basically had nothing. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, they'd be out. That's an L. Yeah. Oh my God. That, that hurts. Yeah. Starting from, from ground zero. Especially in forties. I mean, like you just got married. Like, I mean, like what, like what you kind of question, there's a lot of existential stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. do. Right. And you can imagine most people will play the victim mentality with that. Like most people who are fat or poor or yeah. are usually victims. It's everyone else's fault. Not mine. But one thing I could respect is in that situation, Amika immediately started reaching out for help. And she started reaching out and saying, hey, does anyone have any positions or anything I can do to make more money? Yeah. And from her asking, we ended up getting connected because a friend reached out to me, told me what her situation was. And then I brought her on my sales team because she had so much heart and a great personality. So I'm like, all right, cool. Let's let's talk. She hopped on that sales team, on our sales team, Isaac. And in her second month, she made 15 grand. Yeah. I was like, whoa, that's the most money she's ever made in her life. Yeah. So going from zero to fifteen grand just by simply reaching out, asking for help, getting out there, being a go getter. She ended up moving to her own apartment, which is crazy because at forty years old, she had never lived on her own because she had always been supported by her husband, who they were together for like almost like twenty plus years. And it all just goes back to just saying like she took accountability for her. Okay, so I need to go out to get money now. How am I going to do this? Let me reach out, use my network. Boom. Compared to most people, man. They're not going to do that. They're going to be like, oh, my God, I feel so sorry for myself. What am I going to do? Uh, like, even for yourself, the story you told, right? How many folks will look at themselves in the mirror and then go right back to, like, jerking off or right back to eating pizza? Like, oh, that's bad. Oh, they're so motivated, bad. but, yeah, you know. <laughs> but here's, here's what I also hear from you. I think you and I, and I could say this would also occur from other high performers, there's a lot of issues we have with, like, the whole victim mentality because it's just frustrating sometimes to hear it. But here's, let's, let's put our emotions to the side. Here's the hope. If you deep down believe that you don't want to be this, how can you expect for things to change if it's not even your problem to solve because you can't take responsibility for it? Like, yeah, it might suck, but then you actually have a chance of solving it. That, like, that, that's the hope. Like, stop being so bad about it or that the world's mad at you or that it's so personal. It's like, if the taking responsibility creates the start of a roadmap so your life can change, that's different. You know, because it's like, if you don't have the money you want to have, but it's not your fault, well, then you can't have the money you want to have because it's not your fault. It's not your problem. If you don't, if you're not the way you want to look and it's not your fault, nobody else is going to make you do it. So you can live your whole life that way. Believe in that, but you can't actually change until you change the belief and beliefs are harder to change than we think. That's why it's not always that easy for people, but it's simple. Yeah. It's simple. And, and so, and so the effort then becomes, you got to make people start to ask questions. And you know this in sales because of what you do. Like when you get people to ask questions, they sell themselves, yeah. you know, because it, it's not about drilling ideals or telling them that your product's the best or that this fit or that there's this it's. What do you actually care about? What do you need? What do you want? And how am I the person that's going to get it for you? And, 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 that, and that's sales in, in, a, in a grand part. It's, it's caring about what the other person is that you can become empathetic to understand their needs and then figure out if you're the one and how exactly how you can deliver what they need. Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because I think everyone knows what they should be doing, but they don't. Yeah. At, deep down their core, everyone knows you should probably not be watching Netflix for eight hours. Everyone knows you should probably go to the gym and work out, but they still don't. 
And when it comes to sales, that's why what we do, we're not selling, we're more transforming lives. Yeah. They always say selling is serving. For example, today, I had a sales call today where a lady put down a 1K deposit and I called her up and she had recently been part of a mastermind. Yeah. A couple months go by, she made a deposit, nothing essentially. And she was like, yeah, I'm just going through all these things. My car's in the shop right now. I want to join you guys, but I don't have the money right now, Mike. Things are just so tough for me. And um, my son's going to college soon. All these excuses, right? And as I'm talking to her, I'm like, this is probably the reason why she needs us. Because she needs to make more money. And our program helps you make more money. But that's coming from a genuine perspective of I'm hearing a problem. And it's maybe she doesn't see what the problem is. Yeah. And we ended up talking about how you just need to be around people who are making more money. Yeah. And I told her exactly how I told you just now. And she kind of, she knew that was the case. And she's like, yeah, I know. I've been thinking about it. And she just kept on saying, like, yeah, I know. I know. I just need to get around more people. And we ended up coming down to, at least in this situation, she's like, okay. And I told her about a new payment plan option we had. Because before she wanted to join, but she just couldn't afford it. Yeah. So we talked about a simple payment plan, start with 1K down and get started. She made a payment right there on the phone right then. At the end of the call, she thanked me. Mm-hmm. She was like, oh, man, thanks, Mike. I've been thinking about this for so long. So, you know, basically saying she was happy that it even happened. So to go to your point, everyone has an option. And also selling is truly like transformation. Yeah. Because without us being able to solve a problem, she probably would have gone back to having her car be crappy life be staying the same situation same situation and like how we said earlier if, if to get the things you never had you have to do what you've never done never done though which yeah. is all this concept of what we're talking about with self-development getting stronger making more money you realize that what you're doing is not working so yeah. you have to fix it <laughs> well to everyone out there this has been a fantastic conversation it's been very enlightening i would challenge you that if you're listening to this episode listen to it again and approach it from a philosopher's standpoint. Listen to it, analyze it, interpret it. Find the lessons, find the value. But as you come to the end, think about one thing now. One lesson that you can pull away from it. Mike, what would be your takeaway? I think my biggest takeaway from this conversation has been that your current situation is truly not your final destination. Everything we talked about today was our past selves, going through a transformation and becoming a better version of ourselves. And the only reason we did that is because we had a choice to make a change. So for everyone listening, if you want to make 20, 30, 40 grand a month, you can. Be in the right vehicle, like many of my students, like Malachi or Amika, who were able to make 20, 30K a month because they made a choice to change. Or if you're trying to get in shape, get some muscles, lose your belly gut, as both me and Isaac sound like we had at one point, you have the choice to go out and change it because at the end of the day you're responsible for you and if you want to be a change like I just said man you gotta be the change yourself but yeah I was probably about what you said earlier yeah and I'll say my takeaway is just understand what you want stop listening to the voices stop listening to the opinions of others and just sit there just you on the edge of your bed ask yourself the question lay on the floor I don't care figure out what actually matters to you at the end of the day at the end of life what would be the most important thing to you? Mike, where, where can people find you at? Yes, sir, man. If anyone's looking to make an extra 5 to 10K per month and change your income, uh, we have a business called Remote Closer University that helps the everyday person 
if you try like drop shipping and all these businesses that have failed, uh, we have a program where you can pivot to do sales over the phone, like I did to change my life. Uh, you can find me at mbusby underscore. That's M B as in boy U S B Y underscore. Um, check out the link uh, if it makes sense. We can hop on a call and. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired of your income, this could be the thing to help you change. Like how it has many of our students in. I hope, hope it can help you as well. Well, I thank all of you Mavericks for tuning in. And to close it out, you know how we do it. Veni, Vidi, Vici, I came, I saw, I conquered. That concludes today's episode on the Isaac Velez Show. If you enjoyed this episode and it provided you with value, we appreciate it if you would leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and share this episode with one person. We are grateful for all the support that you provide. And if you are serious about improving your life, check out our coaching at www.isaacantoniovelez.com. Until next time, that's it for today's episode.